something a little more special today. Um, we have a testimony. Testimony of uh, just how God has been working in his life by our brother Calvin. And, um, you know, just people sharing. Uh, well, one of the things we'd love to see more and more of is just people sharing what God has been doing in their lives. Right? God is at work in your life. And um, so, so let's get the floor over to our brother Calvin and so he can share about things God has been doing for him. Ah, okay. I am Calvin Kim, and I am just a teenage boy. I don't learn from my failures, not that profound, and chase girls. At least that's what most people think when someone says that they're a teenage boy. And while some of that may be true, okay, most of that may be true, especially the last one, I am one more thing that rules out everything else, which is Christian. Growing up, I was always thinking. I questioned why my life was like this during bad and good moments. I asked myself, how could I become better at this? Or how could I become just a better person overall? I always compared myself with others and felt older than my friends, which most of the time made me feel disconnected. Then I became a high schooler. And while I may have felt older because of my personality, I felt younger when it came to academics and knowledge. I wasn't too bad since my friends and I shared interests, but every time they talk about concepts I wasn't learning, I just felt out of place. Sophomore year came around, and I began to slack at school. I probably had the least amount of classes anyone at my grade level could have, and yet my grades were below par. It's not that I didn't care about my classes anymore, or that I was doing anything bad that made my grades drop. I just lost motivation, and as I messed up in some classes, I felt like I was disappointing those teachers, so I did more there to compensate, which led to fall in other classes as a result. Trying to play catch-up cut into social time, weakening bonds with friends, and it was a vicious cycle that killed my enthusiasm of high school, hope of successful future, and of course, my motivation. Not to mention the lecture after lectures with my parents to do better in school, stop procrastinating, and of course the common threat of a Korean parent to kick their child out of the house. <laughs> Funny, when I think about my past in elementary and middle school, all I remember is the endless nights of micromanaged studying with my mom and loud screaming with my parents whenever I made mistakes. I was alone. But then this thing called retreat came up. I had been recently going to church for a while with my friends every weekend, and I liked it. I was not religious, but it was a time for me to think about things other than homework and school, one of them being religion. My main argument not to convert was that God was not acting in my life, and I was just another random person walking on this earth. Eventually, retreat applications came up, and with a week away from everything going on in my life, it sounded like a good way for me to take a breather from all this stress. So I went, and I was blessed. I was born on October 16, 1995, in San Francisco, California. I was reborn on December 18, 2010, Saturday night. This is a part of my post I wrote on my personal blog I used to record thoughts a day after. Friday came up, the day I was so ashamed of adding up my grade, and I realized how much I prayed to him in times of pain. And I came up with the conclusion that he's been there my entire life, and I've always prayed to him, talked to him, asked him for help. But I guess I never accepted that help as him. I'm sad to know he's always been there, 
my entire life and that I didn't notice till now, but happy because I've been living a moralistic life and well, it feels a lot better to have all this lifted off of me, a lot better. I cannot say my coming to God that night was a direct sign, like a burning bush or a shooting star, but my change came from a simple realization. I thought I was just another kid going through the same challenges as everyone else that every other teenager had challenges with motivation, problem with procrastination, and fear of parents. And while they do, I was, just not, I was not just another random person. That night, I realized I was extremely different and that God had created my story just so I could be with him that night at that moment. When I think about it, what were the chances of a semi to non-Christian family spend, sending their child to a Catholic school where he would be exposed to God. And then after being accepted to St. Francis High School, a private Catholic school, my parents instead decided to send me to a public high school where I would meet my friends who would take me to church and attend regularly. And of course, the spiraling of emotions that eventually led to me to go to a church retreat and to be in that room and at that moment. It was him. It was not coincidence. There are too many coincidences. It was God. And at that moment, I heard him. Out of the million times he called me to him, I heard him and thought and went. Did I see, touch, or feel God? Maybe. But that night, the Holy Spirit had imparted something greater than knowledge, awareness. John 9:11. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. I believe that at birth, we were placed with mud over our eyes. That is why we walk blindly as children and teens, wandering from place to place, failure to failure, disappointment to disappointment. And it isn't until we realize it's God that we listen for his voice, we start to walk towards Siloam, and eventually we wash the mud from our eyes. Today is a day to celebrate how God made this all possible, the day that we give praise and thanks than any other day for God's workings in our lives. The day that Jesus has risen, which, through that, allowed us to be more than just mindless teenagers or grumpy old parents, but the best thing that anyone could call themselves, Christian. I think we can just end the service now. I don't think we need a sermon. <laughs> that was really awesome, Calvin. I actually didn't know all that stuff about Calvin. Um, thank you for sharing that. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to the scriptures. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Youth group, uh, you guys don't know it, but you're kind of dropping on part five of a series which is the, the concluding sermon of this series. We've been going through Mark chapter 15, and I planned it so that it would culminate today on Easter Sunday. Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through chapter 16, verse 11. This is Mark's account of the resurrection and uh, let's read it. I'll read it out loud. And please follow along. This is the word of God. 
And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, so Jesus has just been crucified and he's died. That is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very, very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. You guys following the story? Just think about this. They're having a conversation. How are we going to get the stone across? And then they show up and they see the stone has already been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Wouldn't you be alarmed? And he said to them, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled for the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose on the first day of the week, he peered first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they wouldn't have to leave it. At least not at first. Let me pray for this message. Doesn't seem like much when we read this, or it's sad to say this they were astonishing and and hard-to-believe words that people, when they first hear this, they, they go, are you serious? And yet today we live in a society that has grown very post-Christian and has heard these words so many times. And Lord, we need you. We need you now to take the gospel and help us see the power of the resurrection, to see its absolute alarming and astonishing ramifications as we live in this dying world now. And so, I pray that you'd be with us now, that we'd hear your word, that we would hear the, the profound super-relevance that Jesus has risen, that the resurrection has come. In Jesus' name.
Now, let me make two quick points before we get into this message. Um, you know, some of you may be kind of wondering about this. Uh, it says here, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include this latter portion of chapter Mark. I don't want you to be too concerned about that. You're like, is this part really in the Bible, not in the part of the Bible? It's actually a very uncontroversial point in biblical scholarship. You know why? Because all the rest of the portions that are in it, it's all attested to by the other portions of the Gospels, right? So uh, most people like, it's, 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 it's a kind of a moot point. The story that's here is about Jesus risen, and so that's just kind of the first minor point that I'd like to give you. But I want to get into the second point, which is Jesus is risen, and who gets to see him first? Okay. Now, most of you, you know, if you grew up in this society, you know that Christians believe that the Bible teaches that there's this guy named Jesus. Jesus is a man, but he's not a normal man. He's a man who claims to be none other than the Son of God, who in, that means in biblical doctrine, that means he is God, <laughs> That means he is one, he's eternal God. And so eternal God is this person who is now one like us. He died on the cross. He was buried. And then some people showed up and found out, what? He's not, that tomb is empty. This person is no longer dead. He is risen. That is the teaching of the scriptures, and we just read it. Now, I want to make two quick points about this, and I want to get into what I want to get into, um, the, 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 the main points I want to get into today. One is that when Jesus is risen, let me ask you this question. Did he die again? Did he die again? And the question is, of course he did not die again. The answer to that is, of course he did not die again. You know why he did not die again? Because a resurrection means you cannot die again. The resurrection means you are now an eternal, immortal man. That's what it means. That Jesus, he was born Mary, of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and he was like us, which means he was now mortal and he could suffer and he could die. And because he was of the fallen world, though he was not, he had no sin. But when he was risen from the grave now, now what, was, what we saw now was something absolutely new that human beings had never seen before, had never happened in history, because you know what happened here in this moment? Eternity broke into history. That which was immortal broke into that which was mortal. The, the one who could no longer die walked among those who are all dying. That's what happened here. That's what his resurrection means. Many people think it means that, well, you know, he was dead and now he's alive again. That's true, but other people, that happened to other people too. The Bible says there are other people who died and then they are risen again. But then God, like the famous story would be like Lazarus. But then they died again. In other words, they were still mortal. They weren't yet eternal. They, they before, they, would, they died and they rose again. But you know what? They weren't still tasting of the fullness of eternal life. But here now, what happened on Easter was the one who was mortal said now... Here's what immortal life looks like. And so heaven, the power of eternal life in heaven, literally broke into the mortality of history. That's what happened on Easter Day. It was a sneak preview. You guys go watch movies? You guys watch movies? It is a kind of trailer, so to speak, a sneak preview of heaven breaking into the world. And so what's happening on Easter Day is... That God himself would say, look at me, 
But now, if you will follow me, this is your future. This is guaranteed for your life. That's what's happening. That's the first point I want to make. Now, the second point I want to make, which is we'll get into the, 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 the main comments I want to get into today, is who were the first people that got to see this? Hmm. And it tells you. It's very specific. The first people that got to see this were women. Now, let me tell you a little something about women in this society. Uh, I think it is an important advance in our society that, that women are not treated this way anymore. Um, in this society, women are flat-out second-class citizens. It has been said that the testimony of a woman at this time isn't even considered equal to the testimony of a man. I mean, I don't understand why that would be the case, except for the fact that women aren't considered equal with men. And some people, have, when they first heard this testimony, must have thought, how could you possibly believe this? But it's actually ironic. All the more now, people think that this is all the more trustworthy because why would you make up the first, the first people that the Son of God would show himself to were lowly women? Now, let me tell you more. You see, you can see the story is even more astonishing. In this society, women are second-class citizens. Their word is considered less than that of men. It's also the woman that he shows himself to. It says, that it says here that Mary Magdalene, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. In other words, the first person that gets to see Jesus is a very wretched woman. Now, some, there's a lot of stories about this woman, Mary Magdalene. I mean, some, you know, tradition says that she used to be a prostitute. Maybe she was. It, the scriptures clearly say that she was demon-possessed. In other words, she was probably whacked. <laughs> she, was a very, she was a very poor, on the bottom rungs of society. In our day-to-day, day day, if we meet a person like her, she would probably be cutting herself, she would be doing harm, maybe harm to danger to herself and to others. We would probably lock her up. We would give her psychiatric medication. She may have been sexually loose. I mean, who knows? But there's a lot of, we would drug her up. She's a a very lowly and powerless person. And to whom does Jesus say, let me show heaven first? This is who who gets to see it. And of course, she sees this and it freaks her out. It makes her completely terrified. But then she goes and does what this, the, the man, I mean, at first she sees an angel, and then she meets Jesus. And then she tells the men who walked with Jesus for three years, and they're like, what? And they don't believe her. Of course they don't believe her, because she, she used to be crazy. Okay? But now, but then she got saved. She was healed. And now, this is the first person that gets to see the inbreaking of heaven into history. Now, why is that so important? My first year when I came to this church, I gave a message that some people that seem to impact a lot of people, and that message was the kingdom of God is that there are no small persons. And one of the things I want to talk to you, I, I told you the very truth of what it means, what resurrection means. It means that we who are very mortal would one day be risen with new bodies. I mean, you ever think you just hate the fact that you get pimples, teenagers? I hated it too, right? And occasionally I still get them. And man, it just, it, it just irritates the heck out of me. I got my first one when I was 11, sixth grade. And it was a monster. It was like this massive one that like grew right here. 
It's like it was gross, okay? And um, that's just, you know, that's just when you get a teenager. As, as you grow older, you know, especially after you get, you get past age 30, you, you wake up and your body, if you, if you played and you ran around, you didn't exercise, you wake up after you grow up 30, you know, it still hurts. And then, and then this is starting to happen to some of the, the, the brothers. And you may notice that, you know, like the, the, the hair that used to be right here, then starts getting about right here. And it's like, oh, that kind of stinks, right? And, and then you start getting ailments. And you know what? This is mortality. And I'm just talking about the physicality of it. It also it gets worse, actually. You know, when you were younger, you could learn new things. And then if somebody, if you were kind of an unhappy person, that you could, there could be a joyful day and that unhappiness can kind of unfurl and then you can get, you know, so when you, you guys, when you guys are young, you don't, you think, oh, I'm always going to be the same. Actually, you're changing a lot. But as you start to get older, people start to get set in their ways. And if you're an angry person, you start to get set in being angry, right? If you're a depressed person, it starts really, it's, it becomes a more powerful thing. So it isn't just that the outside of you is starting to harden up and start to break down. Actually, the inside of you is starting to harden up and break down too. That's kind of scary, right? It's starting to happen too. This is what it means that we don't have resurrection. You do not have a resurrection body, neither do you have a resurrected soul. And that's why, even though those of us who believe in Jesus have been born again and His Spirit is in us, the, the, our, our, the fullness of who we are as human beings is not yet here. But the hope that the Bible offers you is that if you trust in Christ, that His Spirit lives in you. And let me tell you something, the Spirit is God, <laughs> And if God decides he's going to make a home in you, how can you die? Or how can you stay dead? So the spirit who lives in Jesus that raised him from the dead now lives in you. And that what happens to Christ will now happen to you. That is the promise, the hope of Easter, the gospel. So that you're like, oh, I'll never change, or my body's always breaking down, and my life will always be. That's not true. It's not true. That's one huge implication of Easter. Now, let me offer you a second implication of Easter, which is very important. And I want to get you, try to help you get your mind wrapped around it. I'm going to offer you uh, a quote. A quote from. I don't know why I wasn't as well prepared today. I left my book at home, so I had to go you know, scramble. The reason I walked in here a couple minutes late was because we were scrambling to find this quote on the Internet. Now it's incredible. You can find everything on the Internet, all right? This is from a sermon that the famous author C.S. Lewis once gave, and that uh, sermon is called The Weight of Glory. I'm going toward the back of the sermon. It is, um, you can read this in his book, and it's like, it's like a, a 15 or 20-page essay, and I read this probably in my mid-20s for the first time, and it really rocked my world. I mean, it, it just changed me. There's so many profound things in this that it really made me look at life in a totally new way. It flipped my, it just completely flipped my lid. I read this, and I was like, is that true? And I grew up in the church. I was taught my theology well, but it was somehow that the, this radioactive thing that's called the gospel never really kind of unfurled in my mind until I read C.S. Lewis, and he said, this thing that you're teaching, you're being taught here by the resurrection, has profound ramifications about what life is like. 
And one of those things is that there's no such thing as regular people. And that all the people that you see today, you know, the, the snot-nosed teenage kid who's worried about his pimples and is looking down girls' skirts, you know, that's what he's, I mean, looking up girls' skirts, you know, that kid or the person that just seems like a nobody, he's in your company, doesn't make for very good conversation at lunchtime, the person that seems short and is not very rich and is not very powerful, there's no such thing as an ordinary person. And here's what the way Lewis puts it. That when you, if you believe in the resurrection, that people will be risen up and they'll have new bodies. And what's going to happen is that their humanity won't look just like ordinary, just junky stuff that we, that we disrespect today. That the way Lewis puts it is that the way that they will look when, after they've been resurrected is they will seem like a god or a goddess to you. They will be made in the image of the Son of God, which means that what it truly means to be human is to become like Him and that's to be like a little god, like a little god or a goddess. That's what the resurrection means. And here, now let me get to this quote. And here's the way he puts it. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Because you know what heaven is? Heaven is the place where the mortal has been made immortal. That mortal sons and daughters of God will have been made immortal sons and daughters of God. That heaven is a society of future gods and goddesses. That's the way, that's the way he puts it. That's what human beings are. You are potential sons and daughters of God, which means you are potential immortal persons. That's what heaven ultimately is, a society of gods and goddesses. But you know what... Human life today is, it is a society of potential, possible gods and goddesses. And he says, it is a very serious thing to live that way. You must remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw him now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's what he's saying. Is that that just hard to believe? Calvin came up here and he gave us this little story about being a very average teenager and he's going around chasing girls. And I remember when I was his age, I was just like, yep, I pretty much... And all the things that he thought about were the things I thought. I I was basically a lustful, (laughs) you know, 14, 15-year-olds because that's pretty much what a 14-year-old guy tanked up with testosterone is. Ladies, all you girls... All you guys, oh, he's a nice guy. There, there's no such thing. They're all perverts, okay? <laughs> <laughs> then they grow up, and then they become a little better at managing their pervertedness, okay? <laughs> That's pretty much what all 14, 15-year-old guys are. And then on the other hand, we're all, like, just greedy. I got to get grades so that I could get rich one day. And that's kind of like... What you, when you meet an average person, and then, you know, they're 25 and they're a little bit not as nasty or as blunt about it, but the 25-year-old guy isn't that much better. And when you hear that this is what a person is, but then the Bible tells you, you will be transformed and you'll be made like Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to be just a nice person like Jesus. 
It doesn't mean you're going to be not so perverted anymore and that you're going to love the poor. All those things are true. But what it means also is that your body and your soul will become immortal. And you become like this. That if someone could see who you are in the future, you know, Calvin gave this testimony. If you could see the resurrected Calvin, we would look at him and he would think that he's so grand, you would feel tempted to worship him. I mean, we are like tempted to worship like Michael Jordan if you're into basketball. You're tempted to worship some other great person when you see them in all of their greatness. But when you are made in the fullness of the greatness that God intends for you, there's a very serious thing. And that's what we're living in today. It's hard to see this. But that's what it's true. He goes on. If the person doesn't become a great and glorious immortal goddess, you know what? They end up going to the other place. And the other place, you get hardened and permanent in what you are. So if you are a pervert now, you get to be a permanent pervert because you get irredeemable in the other place. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? The way he puts it is, Otherwise, you will see a person who is a horror and a corruption as you meet now. And then they will become a nightmare forever. That's the stakes of life. You understand? That is the stakes of life. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendship, all our loves, all our play, and all our politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You know that? You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures, arts and civilizations, these are mortal. Isn't that crazy what he's saying? Nations, arts, and civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, a flea. But it is to immortals whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, insult, look over, exploit. This does not mean that we are perpetually to be solemn. You just can't always be serious. We're supposed to play too. You get to play with the mortals. But the way we play, it is to be a kind that exists between people who have from from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. For our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Let me go to that part. Nations and civilizations and arts, they are mortal. It's crazy to think about this thing. I'm I'm, I'm really trying to flip your mind here because I'm trying to give you a little experience of what I had when I first read this in my mid-20s. Think of the United States of America. It is the most powerful nation on this planet. We are an empire. I don't know if you guys know that. 
You know, whenever you hear news that our armies are in Afghanistan or in Iraq, that our armies are also in Korea and in the Philippines and in Hong Kong, you know why? Because America is an empire. This is the most powerful, the richest nation that has ever been on this planet. You know what Lewis is saying to you? According to the Bible, the average Joe person that you meet will outlast this nation. And thus, this person that you meet, you must take very, very seriously, even though you think you're better than them, smarter than them, prettier than them, more powerful than them, and they're nothing. A nation is everything. Presidents and rich people and powerful people, they stride across the world stage, and they are everything. They're important. That's why we have news about them. But the pimply-faced kid, the, the nobody who, li- who works on the, next, on the next cubicle, they're nothing, right? Wrong. That's how we think. That's how blind, sinful, mortal people think. But if you understand the stakes of history, the stakes of eternity, nations are nothing compared to people, individuals. And so there's no such thing as an ordinary person. And so God, God dies. He's risen. And the first person he says, it's me, is a very poor and broken and wretched person because one day we're going to meet Mary and you, if you could see her today, she'd be so radiant and so glorious you would want to worship her. And there are many, many more Mary Magdalene's today in this room. There's no such thing as ordinary persons. You know, um, we, we teach this gospel. We preach it. We take it to the ends of the world. We take it to places that are mud huts and nowhere places. You know, some of the most pleasing houses of worship on this planet don't have nice buildings They don't even have bathrooms. They don't even have sewage. They have people like Mary coming out of demon possession, coming out of drug addiction. They have AIDS. They have no education. They can't read. They may have disease. And they worship and know God. And one day they will have immortal bodies like the resurrected Jesus. And God says... That's my house. That's my heaven. That's where I live and breathe. That's real church. You understand? We talk about people. You go into church. Let me tell you something. If the church has a nice building and all the things are run well and we have good equipment and the people up front are dressed super nice, let me tell you, that doesn't necessarily make it a good church. God may not be in the house God may not care for that building. God cares nothing for those things. But there are Mary Magdalene's, three, four, five people. There are two or three guys. They used to be rapists and murderers, and they meet together in prisons. They fear, it's like, oh, man, the big guy's going to rape me tonight. But right now, I'm going to worship Jesus. That's real church. That's the real family of God. And Easter says, Jesus loves those people. 
I would like to close this message with three illustrations. Just pictures. Just pictures. I'm trying to make you see the world through the lens of the resurrection, through the lens of the gospel. You know, um, you don't see them too much in this city. We lived on the East Coast for a number of years. My wife and I, we lived in Philadelphia. And let me be blunt about Philadelphia. Philadelphia has lots of the parts of the city that are just plain ugly. Okay? The, the, the people who ran the city um, just ran it into the ground. And center city Philadelphia, the downtown, has where all the rich and powerful people are, it's pretty nice. But you just go a few blocks away from center city, it, it just, there's a lot of slums. And there's ta- there are houses, there are many, many houses in Philadelphia that cost, I'm not making this up, $30,000. People don't want to get buy, pay more than $30,000 for the house. I'm not kidding. I've been in those houses. And you walk these neighborhoods, you know, just dumpy, dumpy house after another. And then you, on the corner, there'll be a store. On one side of the store will be a liquor store. On the other side of the store is a church. One corner is a liquor store. One corner is a church. I mean, you see this in Philly. And it's a, they call it the storefront churches. And, you know, if the neighborhood has houses that cost $30,000, you, you can guess that the commercial real estate doesn't cost that much either. So here in Silicon Valley, it's very expensive to buy real estate and to build churches. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of churches here. It's hard to have a church just because the real estate. But in Philadelphia, it's very easy to plant a church. Because it's a slum. It's a dumpy and ugly neighborhood. And right here on this end is a liquor store. And on the other hand was a store that closed down and somebody else got the bright idea to plant a church. The guy preaching in the church might be a guy who used to be on drugs. He might have come out of prison. He met Jesus. He knows this story. He never went to seminary. He doesn't even read very well, but he knows this story. He proclaims Jesus. And the other people, there may be five or ten or fifteen people on church on a Sunday morning. And one or two people might get saved, and those other people might be on drugs, or they might have two or three babies, and they're on welfare, and they have different skin color than you and me. But it is, you know what's happening on that On those Sundays, it's just like this Sunday. On this Sunday, God met a very wretched, broken woman and turned into a glorious person. That's what's happening on those storefront churches in Philadelphia and all around town, in shanty towns, in India and the slums. That's what's happening. Okay? It's one picture. It is a glorious thing that's happening. Second story I'd like to offer you is, um, I shared this with the English minister. I'd like to share it with a little bit with the youth group and maybe a wider audience. Some of you may not have heard this. Um, a few years ago, my mother-in-law passed away with uh, lung cancer. If you met my mother-in-law, she's a very humble woman. She came out of a very small town in, um, in Gyeongsang-do, which is kind of like uh, hick, but very proud people, Right? In, uh, in, in Korea, right? And uh, she's got a little bit of an accent, and she makes foods, and I'm like, what's this, right? It's kind of like 
pick people food, and it's cool, right? Um, I married my wife, and I got this woman as my mother-in-law, and um, we have almost nothing in common, right? I'm from the West Coast. She's from the East Coast. I'm not from Gyeongsangdo. I went to hotshot universities. I read fancy books that you know require master's degrees to even understand what the heck is going on in the book. And I like those books, okay? <laughs> I sit around, you know, that's light stuff for me, and I'm not trying to brag. It's just that's what nerds like to do, okay? <laughs> that's, and, and, I, and I speak very poor Korean, and she speaks very poor English. But one of the things that I saw in my mother-in-law over the years is she knows Jesus. She loves Jesus. There's a purity to her heart, Right? And um, she passed away from cancer, and that was a terrible, awful thing. But one day, it'll be a beautiful thing when I get to hang out with her, and there'll be no language barrier. That's what the resurrection partly means to me. And um, when my daughter was about four, this is Laura I'm talking about, four, I think actually she had just started kindergarten. She must have been five. So she used to take this music class. And so I would, you know, she was in the back. It was just me and her. One day, you know, I was in my little cheapy car, and I was taking her to music class. And out of the blue, she goes, Appa? It's, you know, dad in Korean. So, you know the, the harmony who died? That's how five-year-olds talk. It's kind of blunt. <laughs> the grandma who died? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> She goes, was she a Christian? I said, yes. She knew Jesus. She loved Jesus very much. She goes, so that means she's going to live, be in heaven and live forever, right? I said, of course. She's with Jesus. She's like, okay. And she got really happy. And she started asking these other questions. Is our family Christian? Are other people Christian? <laughs> She's like, what about our other grandparents? Are they Christian? I'm like, yes, they, they, they know Jesus. And then, and then I'm like, why are you asking this, Laura? She goes, because my teacher, my Sunday school teacher told me, she said that there was a kid who came to class and said that her uncle doesn't believe in Jesus. So the teacher said, let's pray for your uncle. So the class prayed for the uncle to accept Jesus so they'll be in heaven and have eternity and their family would know one another together. My daughter came home and she understood the ramifications of the resurrection. She understood, believe in Jesus, you get heaven, you get eternity. You don't, you don't. Wow. And, um, you know, I can see that my daughter, she's understanding this. My grandmother died last year, right? But I didn't lose her. I didn't lose her. That's what she understood, right? She started thinking about all the people that she loves. And she goes, it's really important that they get risen. And that Sunday, the next Sunday, I went to her teacher and I just went, thank you for sharing the gospel with my daughter. It was at stakes, you understand? 
One last story. Um, the, the pastors, we have a staff meeting every Tuesday, and we always close our staff meeting with prayer. And um, we were sharing prayer requests, and Frank shared a particularly painful prayer request. So there is a girl, and many of you guys know of Pastor J.J. and Junya Huang. They are, you know, they're beloved missionaries that we support in this church. And they have a ministry in Thailand called the Jasper Kids Foundation. And that ministry was specifically to raise up a new generation in a country that's tremendously perverted. With the spread of AIDS, literally another generation is dying in that country because of the tremendous godlessness and poverty. Powerful people preying upon very poor, innocent children. I mean, that's what's going on. Select sex trade, it's horrific. That's what's happening in that country. And this ministry was intended to share the gospel into the next generation to raise up a set of leaders for the transformation of Thailand. It is an absolutely glorious ministry that we are very privileged to support. What they do is incredible. Pastor JJ shared a prayer request with Frank that there is a young girl who was, who was saved through the Jasper Kids ministry. Her name is Jiranin. Am I saying that right? Close. Probably I'm butchering that name. All right. Jiranin is now 17 years old, and she has AIDS. Okay. She was born with AIDS. She was born with AIDS because her parents had AIDS. Her parents had died, and so now she's an orphan. When she goes home, to you know, she's from the villages, and when she goes to be with her relatives, her relatives effectively ignore her. They put her in the corner, and they barely talk to her because they're afraid of her, and she has AIDS, and so they, they go, well, she's pretty much going to die. And so can you imagine that? You go home to your family. You don't get to eat with them. They don't hug you, and they barely talk to you. Pastor J.J. saw this, and he just, he just couldn't take it. And so he took Jiranin back to, be, to live with Jasper kids so that when she passes away, she would die in the middle of her real family. You get it? She would die in the midst of a real family where she is really loved. And would they know that she will die, but she will live. And that there is no such thing as ordinary people in the face of the resurrection. Because you understand that if the world is just, you live, maybe you get to live 30, 70, 80 years, then all the world is power, fame, looks, money, and a little bit of pleasure along the way. That's all the world is. All the rest of this talk, righteousness, justice, mercy, it's all crap. It's nothing, okay? It's all nothing. That's why the world cares about power and money, right? We care about power, money, sex, pleasure. That's all the world is if there's no resurrection. But if Jesus is risen and there's resurrection, Jiranin will live. And what Pastor J.J. is doing 
is right. Oh man, it cannot be more than right because it is true. It's not just because he's a good person, because he knows the truth. Chirinin, my daughter, my mother-in-law, the storefront churches, we are living in the light of the truth of the resurrection. And in this church, we sow the gospel every single week because I call you to live in the light of the truth. Okay? No small persons. Let's laugh with each other. Let us treat one another with the utmost seriousness. Let's love each other. Even if we're a little hard to love, even with a little pimply face, and there's no small persons. And if we live this way in the light of the truth, People will feel that there's something weird going on at this place. Of course there's something weird going on because this is the taste of heaven itself. It's a taste of immortality itself. That's what church ultimately is supposed to be. The family of the immortal persons, the resurrection, in light of the resurrection. Let's pray. We pray for Chiranin. Will you let her family see you come to know Jesus? I pray for all our brothers and sisters in this room who have a loved one who does not know Christ. That they would trust that Jesus saves. By his grace, he saves. And they would lift up their loved ones to the Lord. If he can save Mary Magdalene, he can save their hardened, wandering, rebellious, prideful brother, sister, cousin, mother, family, member, friend. And Lord, I pray for our church. We would leave today and we would see Jesus embracing Mary Magdalene. And we would like him, know that we can embrace so-called small and ordinary people so they would have a bright and super glorious future. Lord, we are going to laugh with each other. We're going to sing with each other. We're going to treat each other with utmost graciousness and seriousness forever. I pray that you would place the resurrection heavenly culture into our church. And we would bask in the greatness of your glory. The glory of the risen, the immortal man, God, Jesus. That promises us this great and impressive, this unbelievable, this astounding future that flips the whole world upside down, Lord. Do this in our church, we pray. In our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships. In Jesus' name. Let's respond to the Lord with our uh, offerings and our praises.